since that time, before that time, I've been convicted. As many of you know, I just finished my seminary class on evangelism. And uh, one of the things we had to do is, you know, uh, and I knew this would take me out of my comfort zone. It said you need to go evangelize at least eight individuals, go share the gospel with eight individuals and present the gospel to them. And um, if I'm honest with you, uh, and I think if most of us are honest with each other, when we think about sharing the gospel and actually going to talk to someone, there's a natural fear that comes up in all of us. It's just, it's normal. It's not an abnormal fear. But nonetheless, God allowed me to overcome that fear because I started searching the scriptures. And what did the scriptures say? Right, 2 Timothy, when Paul's writing to Timothy, Paul's at the end of his life, he's ready to go home and be with the Lord, right? And he's reminding this beloved child of his, who, who if you know Timothy, he's got the history of maybe being a little timid, a man of God, but at times timid, right? And he reminds Timothy throughout the whole book of 2 Timothy to be strong in who? In Christ. And that's what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you, my child, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, guys, it's when we think we have to be strong in our own strength, that's when we fail. Our strength always comes from the Lord. We looked at the passage a few weeks ago in Matthew 28, and we got to remember that the reason we go and make disciples is because all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And so, therefore, we go with his authority we don't go with our authority, but oftentimes we think we're going on our own power. Paul, when he was in prison, the first time he was in prison, when he was writing that letter to the Philippians, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Paul understood that. In his weakness, he couldn't, that's when Christ most actually was profound in his life. He said to the Corinthians, and this is the one that really stuck out to me. I probably read this second, first Corinthians hundreds of times over my 40-some years of being walking with the Lord. But for whatever reasons, this one just stuck out to me. And this is what he said. He said, And when I come to you, brothers, I did not come with superiority of word or wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And here it is. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Think about what Paul's saying there. He's, a, he's confessing to them. When I was with you, I, I had weakness. I had fear. I was trembling. But, and then he says, and my word and my preaching, they were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul always understood that throughout his whole ministry. It was never in his power. It was always in the power of God. Right? That's why he understood that. Because what did he say? He, he asked the Lord, take this thorn that's in my sight. Take it away. And he said, no, because in your, in your weakness, then you're, you're strong. And he said he realized that is the truth. Right? You see, when I took my focus off me and I relied on Christ to strengthen me, and I realized all the authorities from him, it took the fear away. But trust me, I mean, I just shared the gospel the last time was a week and a half ago, right? I said, I got, I've been wanting to share the gospel with this individual for quite some time, and it just didn't work out. We're finally together at a meeting. I'm driving in, I'm going to drive in the car with him. We're going to go to Starbucks, and then we're going to go to our meeting, so I'm going to have about a half hour with, with him. 
And, and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it. And then jump in, in the backseat, two more guys. And I'm like, oh, why did you do that to me, Lord? Now i got to make sure that now they're going to hear everything, right? But that's what our mind does to us. We think, oh, and we paralyze ourselves. But then if you will surrender to Christ and allow yourself to see that whatever situation you're in is what, exactly what he has ordained to happen, you can have peace. That's what didn't happen. So I ended up sharing with Carlos the gospel. By the time we got there, <clears throat> excuse me, my throat's dry. A lot of great singing this morning, brother. <clears throat> but I shared the gospel, and but consequently, the two guys right behind me hold the whole, heard the whole gospel message too. And you know, you never know what God's doing, right? You don't know if He's planting a seed or putting a stone in, or a pebble in someone's shoe. Just go and be faithful, right? And Carlos is searching truth. I'll be following up with him because he's actually reading his Bible. He wants to know truth. He, he could even, I don't think he's given his life completely to Christ yet, but he is on that road. And it's exciting to be that the Lord would use myself to be able to do something like that. You know, the biggest surprise, right? And by the way, this is just introduction. We'll get into our message here in a minute. Just setting the, the scene here. The biggest surprise I had with sharing the gospel was how willingly people were willing to listen. How willingly they were, wanted to have a conversation. It's interesting. People are searching, whether you believe it or not. You see, I, I just thought, you know, if they wanted to know, they'd come to me. But the reality is I had one guy say to me, man, no one's asked me about spiritual things and about heaven or, or about Christ or anything in since I was in high school, and he's like in his mid-30s now. I don't know about you, but I think that's tragic. That's tragic that not one Christian in, in the last 15 years of his life has come up to him and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. But sadly, guess what? I found out that was the case with the other 9 or 10 guys I shared with. No one shared the gospel with them. And yet Christ tells us, the command is, go ye make disciples right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them the truth. Why? So they can do the same thing you're doing. As I learn more about them, you know, it's, it's crazy, because you're going to find out if you start talking to people, like three, four of the guys I talked to, I found out they went to church. I didn't even know they go to a church. Now, when I ask them the question of, you know, who is Jesus, in your opinion? And they give me, it gives me an insight to where they're going. And then I ask them, well, if you were to die tonight and stand before the Father, what would you say to him? And you know what the common answer was? The common answer was, I hope I've done good enough, even among those who are going to church. So don't be deceived if you know guys and gals are going to church and you think they're saved. Don't be deceived by that. Because they actually don't know the truth. They don't know the truth. That was the common answer. When I asked them, do you know what it means to be born again? They were, they were, there was a blank. What do you mean by that? What do you mean, what does it mean to be born again? And yet Jesus, and this dialogue we're going to look at this morning, really tells us what it means to be born again. It's a... It's a narrow gate, right? It tells us that. 
He tells us that in, in, uh, in the scriptures. He tells us that in Matthew chapter 13, that in verse 13, that, that the broad, broad is that way to destruction, and many are on it, and narrow is the way. Narrow is the way to the Father, to heaven, to the Son of God, to eternity with Him. Narrow, not many will reach it. And it's no wonder, right? You know, Jesus gave us the parable of the sower. And what did he say in the parable of the sower? He said some of the seed is thrown on thorny bush, some on the rocky ground, some over here. Basically, most of it dies away, except for that which is thrown on the good soil. It's incumbent upon us as believers to to share the gospel of Christ and allow the Spirit to do His work. I put on, in your notes, I think, I didn't put it on the board here, but in your notes, do you know 120 million, 1 million people die a year in the world? All right? 332,000 plus per day, 13,860 people per hour, 231 per minute, and 3.85 people die every second of the day. And yet we have the truth of God's word. And we got to challenge ourselves to make sure that we are sharing that truth with everybody that we know. In America, 2.8 million people die a year. 323 people die per hour. Per hour. What are we doing to share the truth? And how do we share it? So this morning I want to look at John chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. I really want to talk about what does it mean to be born again? And the best place to go is just to hear the words of Jesus himself and what he talks about what it means to be born again. And he has a wonderful dialogue here with Nicodemus. And I'm going to just going to read through the first 18 verses. We won't look in depth in every verse, especially towards the end. But let me read through. And follow along if you have your Bibles. Please open up and follow along with me. In John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, and you do not accept our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, 
How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended to heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will, be in, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who believes not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a prominent leader. He is a sad, he's part of the Sadducees. He's part of the ruling class. He's a Pharisee. He's like, the, he's like, you don't get much more top than Nicodemus. He has lived in this religious system his whole life. He is very well respected. We also know Nicodemus from two other passages. If you go back to, or up a little couple more chapters, you'll see in chapter 7, verse 50, the, the Sahinrin, excuse me, they were having a meeting, and they were talking about Jesus, and what do we do with this man from Galilee? Right In verse 15, it says, Nicodemus, who came to him before being one of them, said to them, right, to the Sanhedrin, does our law judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing? And they answered him, are you also from Galilee? Search and see, no prophet arises out of Galilee. But then everyone went home. So that kind of gives you an idea of his influence. So even though they said something to him, he had influence over them because they didn't argue with him. Interesting, though, that they made this comment to him about, are you too from Galilee? Because where did they think Jesus was from? Galilee. He wasn't from Galilee. He was from Nazareth. Who's from Galilee, right? They said there's no prophet from Galilee. Well, they obviously don't know their Old Testament because there is a prophet. His name was Jonah, right? But nonetheless, Nicodemus didn't stand up for Jesus, but he knew what the law was. And that was enough to quell them at that moment. You will also see Nicodemus in chapter 19. Chapter 19. This is when Jesus has died and Joseph of Arimathea went. And he went to Pilate and said, can I, can I take the body of Christ? And Pilate said, yes. And so it says there in verse 39, And Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, that's in our chapter we're in now, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes weighing about 100 litres. So we know that at this point, if that is what Nicodemus did, that he probably at this point has given his life to Christ. Because if he already knows how the Jews felt about Christ because they just hung him on a cross, right? The Jews condemned Jesus and allowed the Romans to put him on a cross. So Nicodemus is making a statement about his life right now. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now notice what he says. He actually doesn't ask Jesus a question. Have you ever realized that when you read this? It's not a question he asks Jesus. He actually makes a statement. We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see, for 400 years, there has been silence in Israel. There has been no prophets. And out of nowhere comes John the Baptist, the forerunner, and then Jesus. 
And Jesus is doing all of these miracles. And Nicodemus sees this. He knows the Old Testament. The Jews have been waiting for the Messiah to come to set up his kingdom. And Nicodemus is thinking, are you the guy? Because only someone from God can do the things that you are doing. But Nicodemus' mind wasn't in the right place. Because he's thinking, you're the Messiah. Tell me, are you setting up the kingdom? Can we all get ready for the kingdom to come? But I love how Jesus responds, right? Jesus responds is amazing. He says, he tells Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus, well, let me back up. He knows what Nicodemus is thinking, and he knows what's on Nicodemus' heart. And Jesus knows that Nicodemus actually needs to hear the truth. And so whenever you see this word, truly, truly, right, be aware that's something powerful that's going to be said. Meaning, if Jesus is saying he wants us to listen, it carries the idea of amen, amen. Jesus says, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see it, right? We all understand physical birth. We're all here because we had a mom who brought us into this world, right? But that's not the birth that Jesus is talking about here. Not at all. Born again here means, when Jesus is talking about being born again, he's talking about being born from above or being born anew. He's talking about our soul that needs to be born again. He's talking about a life that's been changed, that needs to be changed. But look at, look at Nehemiah's response. I call it a blind man's response. Because right now, he's still blinded to the truth of the gospel. He's still waiting for the Messiah to come. And so Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? And can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, as a rabbi, he knew that this was figurative speech. But he's completely at a loss right now. He's not understanding what Jesus means by being born again. And it's no wonder, right? Because in Corinthians, Paul writes this. Again, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, he says, But a natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's where Nicodemus is right now. What Jesus is saying to him is foolishness. He knows Jesus not meaning has to be born again in his mother's womb, but he's not understanding that he's talking about spiritual things. He's not understanding. He's talking about Nicodemus' heart yet. Nicodemus in his natural mind could not comprehend what he meant by being born again. Jesus understood why Nicodemus truly came to him. Nicodemus is looking for answers. But Nicodemus doesn't realize that Jesus knows the right answer that he needs. And Jesus is going to do this three times with him to make sure that Nicodemus understands what it means to be born again. So look at Jesus' response then to him in verse 5. It said, truly, truly, again, here we go again. He's telling, look at Nicodemus, amen, amen, hear, 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 listen, listen, listen. 
I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that which has been born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So everyone who has been born of the Spirit. Isn't that true about the wind? I was sitting out in the backyard yesterday, the fire pit's going, and we got wood and went in there. And so I moved my chair here, and as soon as I moved my chair there, guess what happened? The wind blows the smoke into my... So I move here, guess what happens? The wind blows it this way. Why? Because we don't really know. The wind moves, it comes, it goes in different directions, right? Jesus is telling him, telling Nicodemus, truly, truly, listen, you need to be born again. All he's doing, this is nothing like magical when Jesus is talking about water here. He's just reemphasizing what he just said about being born again. When you talk about water in the Old Testament, water is always, almost always used figuratively. So I'm just going to give you one passage to show you what I mean. And if you want to take a deeper dive, you can. This morning, time will not permit me to do a further study. But in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, look what it says here. It says, this is God speaking. He's speaking to Israel, and he's telling them about what he's going to do in the future when he redeems them. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and, I, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you may walk in my statues and be careful to follow my ordinances. Nicodemus needed to be transformed. He needed to be washed anew. And that is what Jesus is saying when he's talking about being born again of the water and the Spirit. He is talking about your life changing. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The flesh of flesh is just the natural human nature that we all have. Before Christ, if you, do, if you know Christ now, before him, you walked in the flesh. If you're in this, this worship this morning and you don't know Christ, you're walking in the flesh. That's what Jesus is saying. Right now, Nehemiah is walking in the flesh. He is not walking in the Spirit. Right? And why doesn't he understand? Well, Paul tells us, Ephesians, right? Chapter 2, verse 1. Because until you come to know Christ, we are all dead in our trespasses. We're dead. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, though, he made us alive. If you're born again, you are now alive in him. That's what it means by spirit, born of the spirit. Colossians 2, it says, Paul writes to the Colossians church and says, and you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. They were dead. In Romans 6, 16, Paul says, Do you not know that when you go on presenting yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? My desire is that all of you hear the truth this morning 
who don't know yet know the truth and that you will be obedient and lead your life to righteousness and the Spirit of God would lead you there. But what does it mean that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit? That which is born of spirit is spirit. Well, Paul gives us an idea when he writes to Timothy in chapter 3, right? Chapter 3 of Titus, what does he say? He says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, right? There's nothing we can earn or do to get to heaven. There's nothing. But in accordance with his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, it's all the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. That's why when you guys evangelize and you go out and take a step of faith and share the gospel, don't worry about if that person's response or not. That's not your concern. That's the Holy Spirit's power. We don't do anything other than sharing the truth of God's word, and it's God's word that changes the heart. Just be willing to take that step to share the truth. We're all born to receive a new nature. And if you've been born again, you have had the washing of regeneration in your life. Jesus is telling Nicodemus and all of us, we need a spiritual cleansing in our lives. We don't need to be born again physically. We need to be born again spiritually. Because spiritually, we're dead if we don't know Christ. Now imagine Nicodemus for a minute. Okay? I'm thinking, okay, if I'm Nicodemus, I'm like one of the rulers of all of Israel. You don't get much more higher in that pinnacle than Nicodemus is. Right? He's a Pharisee. He knows the law. He's lived his whole life. Right? He's tried to keep all the commandments his whole life. In his mind, he's thinking what? I'm a great guy that loves God. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus is telling him, you've got it all wrong. Your legalistic system that you grew up in is all wrong, Nicodemus. And I'm sure Nicodemus is in shock and disbelief because this is his whole world. And if Jesus is saying what he's saying, and if Jesus is right, then that means what I've believed is all wrong. So if you ever talk to someone in a legalistic right, religion, and there are a lot of them out there, no, Jesus gives us an example of how to work through that. Right? There's a reason why they're struggling with it. Because it's been so ingrained into their life for so long that when someone comes and says something different, it's like, that's almost a foreign language to him. That's what's going on with Nicodemus. The Apostle Paul understands that too, right? Because that's the same exact thing that happened to Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, right, before he was redeemed, before Christ called him out on that road to Damascus, right, he was a persecutor, persecutor of the church. Right? He was there when Stephen was stoned. And he rejoiced in that. But God grabbed his heart, didn't he? And what does Paul say in Philippians 3, 5? He says this, he says, circumcised the eighth day. He's talking about 
you know, if you want to talk about, you know, your background and all that, all right, let's talk a little bit. He says, I circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But this is what he said about that. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. You see, the very thing Paul gave up, that is where Nicodemus is now. And Jesus is telling him, are you willing to give up what you thought was right, that you might be born again? Now notice, Jesus doesn't wait for a response from Nicodemus, right? The first time he let him respond. This time he's not. He's, he just got done telling him, you've got to be born again. And then he keeps going. And he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Why? Because, look at if you're Nicodemus, think about what must be on his face right now. Right? There's got to be shock. Like, what are you saying to me? This can't be real. I've been following God my whole life. I have kept the law. Right? And that's why Jesus said, don't marvel. Because guess what's he doing in his head? He's marveling like, what? Wait, this makes no sense. Don't you know who I am? I'm Nicodemus. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of power. I'm a Pharisee. I love God. I keep the law. The word must here is used in the strongest way. Present indicative active form. That is, this is what is necessary, he's telling him. Right? That's why he's shocked. Because Jesus is basically saying this is necessary for you to be saved. And then he gives that illustration, right? The illustration, I forgot to flip. The illustration in verse 8 where the wind blows where it wishes and, and you hear its sound but do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So everyone who has been born of the Spirit. You know, again, we've all experienced wind. We know exactly what that means, Right? We feel it coming. It comes in different directions. What Jesus is saying is no one can predict the sovereign work of the Spirit of God who regenerates the heart. It's like the wind. We can give testimony to life that has been transformed because it's been born again. But it's the Spirit that's doing the work. So when you have that fear of wanting to share the gospel, understand it's not you. You're just the instrument he's using it's the Spirit that's going to move the heart. Allow the Spirit to do the work. Don't let your end game be, I'm going to bring this person to Christ. Because that might not be the end game. You just might be one little pebble in that shoe in that person's walk of, in searching for Christ. But be willing to be the pebble, right? By sharing the truth. Now Nicodemus... Nicodemus gives this response, right? His third response, he says, how can these things be? Right? Again, put your shoes in Nicodemus' feet, and he's like, wait, how can this be? This, this can't be. It just illustrates Nicodemus is still not understanding what it means to be born again, what he's trying to communicate to him. This is the struggle I already talked about, right? The struggle that anybody that's in a legalistic system will have. 
because in their legalism, they are doing everything right. They are following everything to a T. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not the way. And that's why he responds. He says to, he says to him in verse 10, he says, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? You see, Jesus poses a question, but he doesn't let Nehemiah respond. You're a teacher of Israel, but you don't understand this? Let me say it again, right? Let me say it again. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, and you do not accept our witness. What's he talking about? He's talking about the disciples, John the Baptist, myself. We speak of the things that we've seen. But you don't want to accept those things. Even though you acknowledge that you see them, you don't really want to accept them. If I told you earthly things and you do not... He said, uh, if, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You see, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that we, the meaning of the disciples, right? We know the truth, we have witnessed to it, but you are not hearing it. And this is why Luke tells us, right? Or Luke tells us that that what Jesus did, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Nicodemus is seeing, and that's why he came to him, was asking this question. But he wasn't asking the question of how do I get born again? He was asking the question, is the kingdom coming? And Jesus, through his life, turned his life upside down. Turned his life upside down. And he said this to him. He says, if I told you earthly things, you do not believe them, Nicodemus. He's refusing them. So he confronts him in his disbelief. He confronts him. And he gives him this great example of the bronze servant. And he says this to him. He says, and Moses lift up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. If you go to Numbers chapter 21, you'll see the story. So Israel has come out of Egypt, and they're mad. They don't like the food that God has given them. They're complaining against God, right? Which to me, I, I just can't even imagine. I'd be struck down. But they're complaining against God and against Moses. And this is, so this is where they're at. They're at Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, and they go around to the land of Edom, and the people begin, they're impatient on their way, and the people spoke against God, as it says there in verse 5 in Moses. And they say, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, which is not true. God is providing for them. But there's no luxury stuff that they want, right? They're complaining. And we loathe this miserable food. So Yahweh sent a fiery serpent among them. And they bit the people, said so that people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. Yeah, you probably should have all died, but God is gracious, right? 
Pray to Yahweh that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. And it will be that everyone who's been bitten and looks, right? Because it's up, you're looking up to it, will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it happened that if the serpent bit any man, when he had looked at to the bronze serpent, serpent, he lived. He lived. The bronze serpent was an example of the cross that was to come. It represented judgment by God. In order to be filled and to be forgiven of that judgment, they had to look to this bronze servant. And that's what Jesus is telling. He's telling Nicodemus, basically, I'm going to cross, and you're going to have to look to me if you want salvation, if you want to be born again, Nicodemus. To receive divine healing, you need to be born again by looking to Jesus and the cross. When we look to Him and we seek His forgiveness, His righteousness in our lives, and we repent of our sins, and we turn and no longer walk on that path of unrighteousness, but walk on a path of righteousness, we are born again because the Spirit comes in our hearts and we're convicted then of the sin. We are no longer slaves of of unrighteousness, but we are slaves of righteousness. And again, he uses that word must. These are the things that you must do. You must look to the cross. That's incumbent upon all of us in this room to make sure we're right with Jesus, to make sure that we know where we're going if we were to die. One of the guys we just brought on board, sister, wife's sister was walking the other night walking across the street and struck by a car and instantly died. Just a young person. She's only in her probably late 30s. You know, this is a person that thought they were going to live for another 30 to 40 years. None of us are guaranteed even past a moment. Life is a gift from God. Life is a gift from our Lord and Savior. He has saved us and redeemed us and he's left us on this earth so that we might go make disciples, right? Seeing them baptized, seeing them learning the truth of God so that we can continue to spread the gospel of Christ. One final thought here, and I don't have time to de- develop this, but this word believe is an amazing word that John uses in his gospel. 99 times in the gospel of John. In this section right here, he uses it seven times. Verse 12, verse, uh, verse 12, 15, 16, and 18. In the gospel, John wants us to understand that when he uses this word, he uses it in the verb tense, not in the noun. Meaning, believe always is with action. If you're going to believe in Jesus, it means action on your part. It means, born again means then to change your life. Meaning, that old life is dead, and your new life is now alive. And so if you're struggling, it's because you're holding on to the old life and you're probably violating the first commandment, right? You're idolizing yourself instead of God because your problems and your issues are more important. So search your hearts out, guys. Look at that word throughout that gospel. It's an action word that Jesus is telling us. 
If we're going to believe in him, then believe in him and make it real. Brother uh, Robert, would you close us in prayer?